Also on the web at www.nsfm.com. You're rocking Attitude Era Live with Icon, Granny Hawkster, and Big Swin. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Monday night here on Ken's FM 89.1 as we go to week two of Attitude Era Live on Ken's 89.1. This is episode number 210. For those of you who are riding along at home, and uh, we'll bring on my co-host here. We got uh, the big swing, and we got Granny Hulkster. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm good. Well, big swing, are you there? You should be. I got you on the board. No, I'm I'm here, yo. Um, I kind I got a little I got a little phone to pick here. Um, you guys can hear me, right? Everybody can hear me. Yes, we can. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, well. What a shock! You can hear me because you couldn't hear me last week because somebody left me on mute the whole show. I mean, well, I, really, bro? I thought we were. I thought we were tight. Well, you know, I'll tell you what. I figured, uh, you know, we'll uh, let people fester and find out who this big swing guy is that we keep talking about. And uh, yeah, I figured the I'd first, you the, the whole first show. show the, the, the first show on Ken FM, guys. The first show. Uh, Live on FM radio in Fargo, North Dakota, and you left a big swing off at Icon. I'm I'm offended, but it's okay because I am doing triple duty tonight as usual. So I'll pop in here and there when I can. Uh, I just wanted the wonderful people of the Fargo Moorhead area to, uh, and even further than that, even that you know, Ken FM reaches pretty far. I uh, wanted them to be able to hear my voice, know who I am a little bit, know that I'm usually the host of this show. Um, but but uh, Icon Icon is is doing his thing and and uh, we're proud of him. So Granny's here, Icon's here. I'm gonna pop back in a little bit, guys, and uh, and we'll go from there. All right, as you know, uh, every Monday night on Ken's FM 89.1, we have a big show tonight. We have a three guest show. I'm gonna go ahead and let everybody know who those guests are. Uh, we have Karma Dean, ladies and gentlemen, and this is gonna be great. I cannot wait to chat with her. She's a model and a wrestler, and um, you know I'd uh, I'd like to. Her real name, her wrestling name is Jacqueline Kay. So we're going to talk to her and have some fun with her. Uh, we're also going to have Duke Cornell, the one-eyed, one-eyed wrestler, and we're also going to have comedian Jeff Shaw. So he'll uh, entertain all of you, and we're glad that you're all with us here tonight, and. Uh, Hope you'll join us every Monday night, same time, at 9 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time, All the taking all the way up to the 11 o'clock hour here on Ken's 89.1. 
And uh, with everybody's trials and life tribulations and everything going on, you know, as everybody knows, I've been planning a wedding. I'm getting married in September, September 25th to be exact. And uh, I've been dealing with that. Granny's been having some issues. And, of course, Big Swing, you know, he's been trying to figure out why we wouldn't unmute him last week. And I figured, what the heck, we'll just go with the show and we'll see if uh, how Big Swing likes not being able to say anything for a whole two hours and just listen to the show like they used to make me do when I first started out here. So so anyway, let's uh, bring Granny on here. So, Granny, what uh, what's new out in Arkansas? You guys got any uh, interesting weather stuff going on out there? Or, uh, uh, well, what's it, new out it's there been in Arkansas? hot. It's, it, it's been hot, and we did have some rain the other day. I'm, I'm ready for cooler temperatures. I do not do well with the heat. I don't like it when it gets hot. Anything above 70 degrees is too hot for me, so I, I want cooler temperatures. And, you know, speaking of uh, speaking of rain and weather, we have not had rain here in about, it seems like, a month. Uh, you know, we were, we were working on a big storm last week, and that all went uh, up north uh, to Grand Forks, North Dakota, and uh, we did not get the rain that we thought we were going to get. It, like, missed us. That's not exactly a bad thing, but we do need the rain here. Um, out here in North Dakota, we have uh, a lot of farmers, as everybody knows, and uh, they do need rain, but they have not been getting that. So hopefully within the next week, week and a half or so, we can get some more rain. I know the lack of rain has been helping uh, our local sports teams because they have not had to cancel any games, and we'll talk about them later. Anyway... Also, as long as we're waiting for our first guest here to call here in about 10 minutes, we'll keep going here on Ken's 89.1 FM. And uh, for those of you who want to uh, get involved in the chat room, he does have a chat room on uh, the website. If you go to kensfm.com, you can click on the chat room, and uh, you guys can uh, chat about the show let uh, everybody know how much you enjoy the show and uh, how much you're entertained by us. We want to let Ken know that uh, this is a a great thing that he's got on the air, and uh, we want to be a top-rated show on his radio station. And we want to thank him for uh, allowing us to be on with uh, all his listeners and all his fans, and we're bringing all our fans to his masses. It's uh, It's... I don't know what you want to say, a a great marriage, as they say. I don't know if that's the right radio lingo, but uh, I've never been up on radio lingo, but it, it's a merger. Let's go with that. So uh, Big Swing, he'll be, uh, he's not muted this week, but he will be with us in some capacity. So anyway, with that all being said, you know, you, uh, you mentioned, Granny, that uh, you uh, – you know, you have, you've only had a little rain, and it's been really humid. So uh, does it look like that's going to be breaking anytime soon out there in Arkansas? I don't know. Like I said, I just, you know, it, it, they always say if you don't like Arkansas weather, wait a day or so, it'll definitely change. So I'm just waiting, waiting for it to change. I just feel bad for the people down in Florida that's dealing with uh, – hurricane or tropical storm Fred or whatever that is down there in Florida right now. I have uh, sister-in-laws who live in Florida and 
we actually talked to them the other day, and they've gotten a little bit of rain, but the storm, I guess, had basically missed them, which was a good thing because all the whole time we were there in Port Charlotte uh, to see my sister-in-law that's dealing with leukemia, it rained every day we were there, but the last day we left to come back home to Arkansas. So we didn't get to see much. We didn't get to do much sightseeing or anything like that. But, you know, the red tide was high, and and people that deal with allergies, especially my one sister-in-law, Sean, she, um, she can't. She wouldn't have been able to go take us down there by the beach because with the red tide being so high, it would have really made her sick. So we just kind of hung out at her house during the day and visited and played dominoes and, you know, just sat and hung around the house, you know. So, which we were there you know, to and, see uh, my of, other sister-in-law, Dixie, anyways. So. Uh, you know, speaking of Florida, uh, Bernadette and I, for our honeymoon at the end of October, beginning in November, um, are going to be going down to Disney World. And we just found out that they um, are requiring a mask down there again uh, in Disney World. One thing that I will I, I will definitely put my foot down, I mean, I don't have an issue wearing a mask. I never have. And we will follow protocol there. But the way I understand it, even though that the characters uh, are in costume, uh, apparently they are wearing masks as well. They have these, like, big masks that they put around uh their 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 mouth uh, on the costumes. So one thing is, I will request when I get a picture with Mickey and Minnie that they do take off their mask, and we will take ours off for pictures. I don't want to have a scrapbook full of Walt Disney characters wearing masks in photos. I understand the protocol, but I do not want to have a scrapbook full of uh, uh, characters wearing masks. It's it's. You know, like I say, I don't have any issues with them wearing masks, but when uh, we take pictures, please take those off. Thank you. And, uh, you know, speaking of uh, Walt Disney World, um, Bernadette's birthday is going to get celebrated down there. I haven't told her this yet, but I have reserved a birthday dinner for her in the uh, in Cinderella's Castle. She's going to get to have breakfast dinner with all the princesses. Um, and I I cannot wait to see her reaction when uh, you know Cinderella comes out, Snow White <laughs> comes out, and uh, you know, and then there's gonna there's gonna be Bernadette, and there's gonna be all the princesses around her, and then there's gonna be me. I'm not gonna wear a tuxedo. I know that they have the op- option if you want, you can rent a tuxedo to dress up for the princesses. But the only princess in my life is Bernadette, so I'm not going to be dressing up special for Cinderella or Snow White or uh, uh, Ariel or any uh, any other. Well, you know, Walt Disney also has uh, Star Wars now. I'm not going to be dressing up for Princess Leia either. But I, I will I will dress nice. I'm just not going to wear a tuxedo. Uh, can you imagine the icon in a tuxedo? I'm not even going to wear a tuxedo in my wedding. So, you know, anyway. So our first guest will be calling in here shortly, and um, I'm going to get um, get that all set up here. And uh, so when she comes on, Granny, we'll have a little fun. We'll do the same thing like we always do and uh, have some fun. So with that all being said, hopefully 
uh, big swing will be able to pop in uh, more than he was last week. Of course, the reason why I wasn't able to pop in last week is I had his uh, microphone needed, but um, I do apologize for that big swing. But uh, we wanted to introduce you properly, and uh, I figured that's the best way and give you a week. So, anyway, so we're just waiting for our first guest to call in. And uh, like I said, we've got a big show. We have three guests every week. We'll come to you every week and uh, have a lot of fun with you all. And if you want to get involved, uh, you can call our chat line at 713-955-0359 if you have a question for any guest that we have. Or if you want to uh, ask the host a question, uh, Granny always has uh, plenty of wrestling knowledge, so does the icon. And uh, if you want to ask one of those questions, you can give us a call, 713-955-0359. And uh, just call in. You'll listen to the show, and uh, we'll put you on. That's how we do it here. All right, so our first guest is on. So I'm <coughs> going to go ahead and put them on and introduce them, and then we're going to have some fun with uh, our first guest. So, ladies and gentlemen. Stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle. About to enter the ring right now. Our first guest of the night. She is Jacqueline K. Hey, this is Karma Dean. You're listening to the Attitude Era live in 89.1 Ken's FM with your host, the icon, the big swing, and Granny Hulkster. Hey, Karma, how are you tonight? Good to have you with us. I- I'm doing well. How are you doing tonight? Great. Uh, hopefully there won't be very much karma here tonight, but uh, we'll uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll uh, we'll have fun anyway. So here's how we're going to do this. If you want to give us a little background about yourself, uh, then I'll ask you a few questions, and Granny will ask a few, and then uh, we'll circle back to me and Big Swing, and I'll ask you the tougher questions. So go ahead, give us a little background about yourself there, Karma. Sounds good. Uh, so my ring name on wrestling is Karma Dean. I am a graduate of the Nightmare Factory in Norcross, Georgia. It is the wrestling school owned and operated by Cody Rhodes and QT Marshall of AEW. I began wrestling in January of this year. Um, had been a lifelong dream of mine since I was a little girl. I've done everything from personal training, personal um, coaching, fitness competitions, beauty pageants, uh, 25 years of TV and film as well as live theater, and here I am today um, as now the BGW Women's Champion um, of a West Virginia promotion. Um, I am the uh, title holder and the new Women's Champion, so I will be going back this weekend to defend my title, and um, I have several more shows lined up after that. Pretty exciting. Uh, Karma Dean's our guest here, live on Ken's FM 89.1. We have about 31 minutes here with uh, Karma. So now you said you trained with um, Cody Rhodes from AEW. So does that mean that we're eventually going to see you with AEW? I certainly hope so. Um, you know, I love AEW. They're my favorite promotion to date. Um, I did train with Cody Rhodes. I did train with QT Marshall. I also trained with WCW's uh, Glacier, Ray Lloyd. Uh, he was also one of my coaches at the factory as well. And we also were coached by uh, Dark Orders 5, Allen B. Angels, and 10, Preston Vance. 
as well as Baron Black and Lee Johnson, all of AEW. So uh, hopefully some point one day um, I will get the call, email, however they uh, communicate to me, and I will receive that invitation. I'm certainly hoping for that. That is the goal. And for uh, our regular fans that listen, uh, the same uh, contest will continue. Uh, if you go to our Facebook page, if you like, uh, if you go and uh, go to Off the Ropes on Facebook, and if you like our page, uh, you'll automatically be qualified to win an autograph from a past guest, a current guest, or a future guest. And also uh, like Ken's eighty uh, Ken's FM on Facebook, and uh, we'll get you entered. Uh, in that contest, and uh, hopefully Karma would be willing to send us a few autographs for giveaways for our big December show that we got coming up, and I'll send uh, you the address there, Karma. We'll take care of that later. So now, you mentioned that uh, training with Cody Rhodes. What was it like meeting Cody Rhodes? Did you get to meet any other members of the Rhodes family or just Cody? Uh, just Cody. I know his brother Dustin runs a school, um, I think called the Rhodes Academy. Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that's the name of the school um, in Texas. Uh, Cody was an amazing, amazing trainer. I was very intimidated, very shy. I was nervous to meet him. You know, he is the great Cody Rhodes. He is a, an amazing talent. And uh, when I met him, I was immediately put at ease. He just has an incredible way of making you feel like you're immediately part of the family. Very special well taken care of. Um, he's an incredible mentor and coach. He taught me everything that I, uh, you know, that I know. Um, QT Marshall also had a, a great hand in helping me mold me into the wrestler that I am today. And Glacier was wonderful as well. Um, you know, he's retired from WCW. He is just one of the kindest, most genuine souls I've ever met. And Cody, you know, he, he's a really special person. He has an incredible way of teaching and just bringing across information that makes it easy to understand and makes you, you know, makes you feel empowered, makes you feel excited to be in that ring. Like, hey, I, I, I really want to do this. I know I'm meant to be here. And he, he builds your confidence and makes you really, really feel like you belong in that ring. He's wonderful at that. You know, and uh, one thing about Cody Rhodes running uh, – AEW, you know, his father was a hero of mine, you know, as the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes would say, well, you know, baby, we're going to go in this ring right now, and we're going to be giving everybody a wrestling lesson here on WCW Saturday night. This is the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, and uh, I'm going to show everybody how to do this. Um, I'm still working on my Dusty Rhodes impression, but so now with your, um, with, with your wrestling style, uh, would you consider yourself to be a baby face? A heel, an in-betweening, or are you more of a into uh, what the crowd thinks you're going to be? I'm definitely a heel. I started my out my character development with the idea in mind that I was going to be a heel. And as I developed the character, she started out something a little bit different than what I am now. And as promised by Cody and them, she evolved, she changed. You know, I honestly thought when I first got my character idea. I said, you know, this is, this is what I'm going to do. It's not going to change. It's going to stay the same right through until the end. And, you know, they were 100% right. As I evolved as a person in the ring and as a wrestler, my character evolved and changed. So my gimmick became, um, went from just being a heel to being like the super heel. So I, I really, when I go out there, I pride <laughs> myself on my, on my promo cutting ability, which Cody was huge on. Um, you know, promos is, uh, is a match and a match is a promo. So I pride myself because I have so many years in TV and film and live theater. I have that ability to, when the camera goes on and the lights go on, you know, I, I just come alive. And 
I love that about myself. I really feel like the my character is, you know, when I come out and I cut those promos, you, you know who I am and you know what I'm out there to do. So there's no question about who Karma is when she steps into the ring. Well, this is going to get really interesting here. Uh, we have Karma Dean as our guest here. We've got 26 minutes here on Ken's FM 89.1. Granny, we have a heel. What do you have for our guest? Carmadine, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, it sounds like it. Well, thank you for being on our show. And I'm not a wrestler. I'm just a, um, you called yourself a super heel. I I guess people call me that super fan. I'm not the average nor ordinary wrestling fan because I do not like the heels. I could talk some pretty good smack to the heels when I have to. So I think if I was watching you at a wrestling event, I think I would have a lot of fun talking smack to you. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, fans like yourself are exactly the types of fans that people like myself, we, we feed off of your energy and we, we love people like you that, that feed back into what we're doing and give us that reason to be who we are. And even the show that I did a few weeks ago in West Virginia, uh, they were like trying to jump the barricade at me. They, they wanted to get at me. <laughs> so, I mean, if well, I can get people to that emotion. I, now, <laughs> you know, I, I would not jump the barricade, you know, however, I mean, I live, I live in, however, I live in Arkansas and there was one show recently that I was at pretty much the show was pretty much over with, but one wrestler, they call him the magnificent Malico. And he, he hollered for me because he got beat up by three guys, you know, and, uh, and there was a storyline where he had gotten run over by a car. So he had to lose his title belt and everything, which I did not agree with the way they handled that situation. But uh, I, I kind of like, I, said, somebody help me get me in this ring. And he, you know, grabbed my leg. Oh, Granny, thank you for coming to help me, you know. And, and I've had I've had wrestlers tell me to sit down and shut up before I break a hip. Or they'll say, don't you have a curfew at the nursing home? And oh, I told one goodness. wrestler one night, I said, I said, baby, I grabbed my keys out of my purse and I threw my fist in his face with my keys in my hand and I about hit him in the nose. I said, baby. I don't need no curfew. I got keys to the building. <laughs> I mean, you never know. And, and and I'm not afraid to stand up to anybody. I mean, I have chopped. I mean, I was at a show in uh, Sherwood, Arkansas, where the wrestler, he was giving me grief. And he, the guy was like six foot six. And I chopped him three times on his chest. You know, and I mean, it's like the promoters, they love me because I will interact with the wrestlers back and forth. I mean, like to no end. I mean, it's amazing what I I have so much fun doing what I do as a wrestling fan. I try to make it fun for the other fans because, like I said, I'm not afraid to stand up to anybody. That's great. We love that. We love that. That being said, I mean, I... Oh, go ahead, Icon. Go ahead. All right, Carmen no, Dean's our guest here. we got about 23 minutes here on uh, Ken's FM 89.1. Uh, go ahead, Granny, finish your question. Okay. I was just going to say, you know, I, I've never had the opportunity to meet Cody Rhodes in person, but I have seen him, you know, in wrestling, you know, in person at a – when he was with the WWE and everything. He is a very talented wrestler and everything. Um, what – if you had an opportunity to have any kind of dream match, 
who would you want your opponent to be and what kind of match would you want to do? Mm, it's a tough toss-up between Jade Cargill, who's currently with AEW. I've seen her train many times um, over at the Nightmare Factory. It's where I had the opportunity to meet her several times. And uh, Sasha Banks of WWE, I just feel like she is on another <clears throat> level. Probably Charlotte Flair, too. I feel like there's, there's a good tie between them two for a WWE um, because Sasha and Charlotte both have, they have a fearlessness about them. Uh, their athleticism is just something on another level that I have yet seen in not many other wrestlers. It's just something that it's like, you know, almost like Pac in AEW. That he does like these crazy spins off the top rope when he jumps. And, you know, you, you, mm-hmm. you have to like stop and think about it. You go, wait, did he just spin sideways, up, down, and then three ways? <laughs> like, you have to like mm-hmm. stop and like replay it in your head. And I feel like Sasha and, and Charles, they have that magic. They have that charm when they come out. Um, it's just something that, you know, it, it's not even learned. I just feel like they have a natural gift that's just incredibly beautiful, and I appreciate it so much. So if I could have my dream match, I probably would say a tag team match with myself and Jade Cargill against the great Sasha Banks and Charlotte Flair probably would get myself beat to no end, but it would be one heck of a good match. It would be worth it. It would be worth it. (laughs) Absolutely. Karma Dean's our guest here. We've got about 21 minutes here live on Kansas FM 89.1. So now, with your wrestling style, are you more of a uh, high flyer like a Rey Mysterio? Are you a technical wrestler like a Bret Hart, or are you just like that, uh, you know, like that butt kicker like a China would be? <laughs> I definitely um, more like a Bret Hart. I I have no fear as far as trying new things and and learning new things. I'm totally into that. Uh, but I pride myself on the fundamentals, you know, the, the strong stuff, you know, coming from the core and the foundation of wrestling. I, like I said, I pride myself big on promos, and I feel like that uh, my promos that I cut, like they transition into my work in the ring. Everything I do is very slow and methodical. I interact a lot with the audience in between moves, um, so I really I'll taunt them. I'll say what I need to say in between moves when I did. The show in West Virginia, um, the girl that I was uh, opposing, my opponent, um, you know, I threw her right into the, the guardrail, into the barricade, rather, right in front of a group of young girls that were a huge fan of hers. And, you know, I grabbed her by the hair, and I was taunting them, saying, yeah, is this your idol? Is this your sweetheart? You know, and they were like, oh, my goodness. They, like I said, they were ready to jump the barricade. And, you know, I just, you know, I slammed her on the apron of the ring. And, you know, we were having a real good time with that because I pride myself on, on all of that, you know, but technically, I have really strong fundamentals. I have a um, good core foundation in my wrestling moves. A lot of the high flying moves, um, I haven't gotten to yet, but I'm definitely willing to learn them. Uh, it, I, I think I interact better with the audience when I'm doing more of my work, like <laughs> in, in the ring, taunting in them and, and, and talking crap to them. I think that's where I shine more. Uh, but I definitely, uh, I've been doing with every match that, I, that I've been doing, I definitely try a new move, every single one, and I try to master it in that, in that particular match. So every, every match I've had since graduating, I've learned something new, and it's always been something that I wasn't taught and something of, you know, great challenge. So I'm happy about that. Uh, Karma Dean's our guest here. We've got about 19 minutes here with uh, Karma. Now let's bring on the unmuted Big Swing. He's got a few questions for you. Go ahead, Big Swing. What do you got? Oh, unmuted. It uh, feels good for once. I mean, yeah, Ken FM. I'm, I'm live now, finally, Icon. Um, I was listening to 
some of you know what you guys were saying, and a lot of my questions uh, have already been answered, which is good. But I was sort of listening to when you asked her about move sets and and what kind of style. And um, as you all may know, if you're Attitude Era Live listeners consistently, I'm a huge Alexa Bliss fan. Uh, I loved her since she started. Now my question is, do you enjoy gimmicks like what she's doing right now, or do you just want to be a straight shooter and be a performer in the ring? Or do you enjoy having a little bit of a, a character behind your, yourself, uh, so to that, speak? Like, I mean, what, what, what would you do if, if, if they presented you with a gimmick? Like, hey, you can wrestle a little bit, but you can be a real popular gimmick, or you can be in the ring being a, you know, be doing all the grunt work every night. I definitely appreciate the gimmick more. I love the um, – even, you know, the funny thing is, is that when I, we did the Nightmare Factory student showcase, I actually managed or slash valeted for one of the other wrestlers in a fatal four-way. And uh, they originally had asked me to do that because they liked my promos and how I used to cut promos and how I would just grab the mic and, and not even memorize or have an idea of anything I was going to say, which just shoot straight from the hip pretty much. And uh, they asked me to do that, and I, I really enjoyed it. I said, I really, really like doing this because I had my couple of spots in the match. I was able to help the, the gentleman out that I was valeting for, and it was fun because I had those moments where people were like, oh, wow, like, you know, this, she's grabbing his opponent, you know, and choking him on the ropes, and, you know, the attention was on me, but I wasn't actually physically wrestling in the ring, but I just got to do some really cool fun out of the ring gimmicky stuff. So I really had fun with that. And then when I get in the ring and I'm wrestling, you know, I cut my promos either at the beginning or at the end, but then I have a lot of fun in the ring wrestling. So I definitely would want to say a little bit of both, um, but I love, like, the whole Lex of Bliss thing right now with her gimmick. I definitely think that that's a lot of fun because um, people don't forget that stuff, you know. I feel like when you have a gimmick like that and it's a strong gimmick, people don't forget it, and it really puts you over as a wrestler and as a character. So, I kind of enjoy both, and I, I wouldn't say no to either opportunity for sure. That's awesome. Uh, Karma Dean's our guest here. We've got about 16 minutes. Now, we're not going to spend too much time on this, but uh, I'm going to kind of put this to you. Uh, you know, you know, we had, we had COVID, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, kind of, we're slowly turn, turning the corner a little bit, I guess. But uh, kind of tell mm-hmm. us how uh, COVID affected you. Uh, did you have to uh, blank your calendar out to a certain point? Do you have get, uh, shows that have been postponed that will be rescheduled or just canceled? Uh, how did it affect you? Well, I actually wasn't wrestling when COVID hit. I was actually involved in TV and film at the time. So I was living in New York when this all happened, and I was working – most of my work was out of New York City. And unfortunately, when the city shut down and, and the – TV and film entertainment industry came to a screeching halt. A lot of the projects I had been working on were, um, you know, independent-based films. They were low-budget films, so they got pushed all the way down to the bottom of the of the priority book. And when things started to open back up a little bit, the higher-end projects, you know, were the first ones to come up to surface. But then even them, you know, even those projects, they suffered a bit. So a lot of the projects I had been working on were either canned altogether or they were like, hey, listen, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see this out in three to four years. So I took a big leap of faith at that time, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go after my wrestling career, and I'm going to, you know, leave New York, head down south where a lot of the wrestling is, and I'm just going to start going after my dreams now because it's now or never pretty much. And I got into the wrestling industry right smack in the middle of when COVID was just starting to take a turn, 
So when I was in training, COVID um, had still everything on lockdown as far as open shows and open to the public. So when I graduated Nightmare Factory, things were just starting to open up at that point. So it was like all in good timing. I had, you know, I was in TV and film, then that shut down. I went into wrestling. The world hadn't opened up yet. And just now things are starting to open up. And I'm out there at this point booking shows and, and running shows, you know, pretty much every other weekend, if not every weekend. And, you know, I'm, I'm perfect timing because now everything's opening back up. And, and fortunately, I'm, I'm able to get bookings now because things are just so open right now at this point. So, uh, Carmen Dean's our guest here. We're live on Ken's FM 89.1. We have about 14 minutes here with uh, Carmen Dean. Now, my next question is, and we, we kind of touched on it, so I'm just going to kind of rehash a little bit, and then uh, you can answer it fully. Uh, now, let's say that... Uh, AEW or the WWE or Ring of Honor, uh, they see you at a show that you're at, and they uh, they say, hey, they, we have a tryout next week. We'd like you to come check that out. Two-part question. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, is that something that you'd want to go after uh, and get that million-dollar contract? And question part two, if you do get that big-time contract, would you not big-time us and still talk to us and still be our friend? absolutely 100% I would still talk to you still be my friend for sure and I 100% would grab the opportunity if it were to come my way I feel like you know I I'm very humble I'm very respectful Um, I I give great respect to the veterans of the business you know they've paved the way for us they've you know created the business and, and laid the foundation for the wrestlers today and without them, you know, we wouldn't have the great stage of the world of wrestling in which we have. So I'm a firm believer that, you know, everything that I've done and all the opportunities that I'm given, I've earned those opportunities by being humble, paying my dues, being respectful, and, you know, just taking care of business and, and doing the right thing. So I absolutely, if a contract of any sort was presented to me, I 100% would grab it and be so humbled and grateful that that opportunity came to me for sure. You know, speaking of uh, AEW, and uh, Granny, you can help me out with the name. Uh, we had uh, we had a gal that was on with us. Uh, Granny, remember the name of the wrestler? Kenzie Page. Kenzie Page. Kenzie Page. Uh, yes. Yeah, Kenzie Page. We were actually her first interview when she was 17 years old, and I asked her <clears> the <throat> same question I just asked you. And uh, Big Swing was watching AEW, and he called me up and said, "Hey, Icon, Kenzie Page is on AEW." I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. So I flipped on the TV, and there she was. And uh, after the show, I called her, and uh, she said, I only got a few minutes, but, uh, yeah, this that was awesome, wasn't it? And I'm like, hey, you know, and she kept her promise. So, uh, you, know, the, you know, the thing is, though, AEW seems to have a little more uh, leniency about who you can talk to and, you know, interviews you can do. Like the WWE, you have to go through a lot of hoops and basically control every aspect of your life. You know, you can talk to these people, you can't talk to these people. You can go to this place, you can't go to this place. You can do this, you can't do that. You know, so I guess you'd have to say, because you train with Cody Rhodes, you want to lean more towards AEW, uh, or or doesn't it matter, either one? Um, I definitely would lean more towards AEW. I do like the way Tony Khan runs um, the whole thing. I feel like, you know, even though he runs a nice tight ship, he, he definitely, I mean, look at Kenny Omega. He's, you know, wrestling on impact. They call him the collector now because he had so many belts. I think he just recently lost one or two. I'm not sure. But he, um, you know, he's all over the place, you know, and they, they're very good at allowing their talent to go to other promotions. Um, a lot of them now are actually doing a lot of independent promotions to kind of help build the independent circuit back up. 
uh, you know, to recover from the whole COVID thing. And, and it's great, you know. And like I know um, QT Marshall, you know, one of my coaches, I'm seeing Instagram posts all the time of him, you know, going to this place, going to that place. I think he was in Jersey this past weekend. So he's, you know, all over. And, and they're they're doing a lot of great things for the independent circuit, which is really nice. And Tony Khan, by allowing them to do that, it's just helping everybody, you know. So I have a lot of respect for him for doing that. I think that's a really good thing. So definitely AEW is my top choice for sure. Uh, Karma Dean's our yes, guest here. Kenny got, Omega uh, here did lose the championship belt to Christian Cage on Rampage Friday night. Correct. Right. Right. Yes, he did. So now, so we you, you've established your career. You you were trained by the great Cody Rhodes. I want to kind of circle back. You know, you mentioned you were also trained by Glacier. Now, uh, I don't know what their rules are, but uh, if there's any way that you can get me in touch with Glacier, he was my, one of my all-time favorites uh, when, he, um, uh, when he first debuted in WCW. Now, unfortunately uh, for Glacier, uh, that's also the start of the NWO, so he didn't really get his just dessert. I think that maybe if he would have started one or two years earlier, I think his uh, character would have got over a little better than it did. Uh, and I've mm-hmm. always wanted to uh, talk to him about that. So if there's any way that you can get me hooked up with Glacier, yep. I would be for, well. I'm forever in your debt now because you know you're <laughs> you know you're my friend and everything. But uh, you know, so I just gotta you know I I had to throw it out there. But if there's any way you can do that, you have my number. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. If you if you could do that, uh, and I promise I'll stop calling you at two in the morning as well, so you know you can drop that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, restraining order that you wanted to file because I keep calling you two in the morning, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, we have Carmen Dean's our guest here. All right, we got Carmen Dean's our guest here. We got Amen. So now, tell us real quick here, Karma. Uh, what does your schedule look like for the next uh, couple weeks or the next month or so? Kind of take us through your schedule, and uh, then we can continue from there. Sure, sure. So this coming weekend, I will be heading back to West Virginia to defend my women's BGW championship title um, against Police Starseeker. And uh, that will be this weekend in Hurricane, West Virginia. After that, I will be performing with the Nightmare Factory Traveling Group. So it is uh, where I graduated from, the Nightmare Factory's very own uh, promotion. They will be performing in Jasper, Georgia. And after that, I believe I have one or two more shows with the Nightmare Factory in North Carolina. I want to say Burlington, North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure that's where it is. And I do plan on heading to WrestleCade, which is also being held in North Carolina. That is the weekend after – I think it is the weekend of Thanksgiving. So I think it's uh, Black Friday through that Sunday. Um, I'll be heading to North Carolina with, uh, hopefully with BGW, um, if they're going to be there to, um, have, a, I'll have my own booth, hopefully with, um, you know, autograph signings and merchandise sales and, and things of that sort. So a couple of exciting shows coming up. I just <clears throat> wrestled this past weekend, um, in, uh, Newton, Georgia against Eliza Hayes. I, I won that, um, match as well by submission, um, put her in the, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, the Cobra Clutch, as they call it. I, I've affectionately called it the Karma Clutch now. And uh, so I, I had that this past weekend, and um, that's my one coming up this coming weekend in Huracan, West Virginia. So lot, lots of shows coming up and hopefully more and more being added to the calendar as we go on. And uh, also, you know, you mentioned your autograph booth. Make sure you save a few of those that you can send to us for our uh, December giveaway. We sure would appreciate that. 
Now, uh, yes, real quick absolutely. here, if our fans want if our fans want to check you out and see what you're doing, you got a Facebook, you have an Instagram, a YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, a GoFundMe, a Patreon. What do you got? <laughs> I sure do. On Instagram, I am Karma Dean. There is an underscore at the end of Dean, uh, but it should be the first one that pops up. I also am on Facebook. I have a personal page. I also have a fan page. You could um, find me on either one. On Twitch, I am Principal Karma. That's Principal with an L-E at the end, not A-L. And uh, I'm working on setting up a YouTube page. I'm also working on setting up uh, – I have a Twitch right now. Um, it's also with Karma Dean, um, but I just don't, I'm not active on it right now. I used to be far more active on it because I have more time. Now it's a little busier. So once I get a little more time, I'm going to start up my Twitch account again and start interacting with some fans. Uh, Karma Dean's our guest here. Unfortunately, we only got five minutes uh, left with Karma here on Ken's FM 89.1. Now, uh, I, I, I want to circle back here real quick. Now, uh, when uh, when I booked you as a guest on the show, I made you a collector's card. And, uh, you know, my fiance loves the picture that I chose of you. You're standing in front of a Mustang. Can you tell us whose Mustang that is? <laughs> That's my car. <laughs> that is my car. Could you tell us about your Mustang real quick? I know this is not a car show, but I'm just kind of curious about your Mustang. Because sure. uh, Brenda no, wanted me to ask you fine. about it. That's fine. No, I, I always loved Mustangs um, for years. and I, I'm big into cars. I know they're probably one of the worst investments because they, they don't make any money. They lose value rather than gain value unless they're uh, antique cars, of course. But uh, I've always loved Mustangs, always had sports cars. So, I, I, I you know, when I moved down to Florida, I said, you know what? When in Florida, you have to do as the Floridians do. Everyone down here pretty much has a Mustang. So I, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go for it and, and, and buy one of my dream cars. So I found one on Craigslist, and the, the gentleman I bought it from happened to live literally three blocks away from where I from where I moved. So I said, you know, how, how crazy is that? You know, the, the universe, like, put it all together. So I uh, met with him. Um, you know, he had been living in West Virginia. He moved down to Florida, took the car with him. And, uh, you know, he just he decided to buy a boat. So he said, yeah, I'm going to sell my Mustang and buy a boat. And, and it was just happened to be that I was looking for one. So that's, that's my baby girl. That's my pride and joy. And, and I, I love that car. It's, it's such a good car. I love it. Absolutely love it. What, what year is it? It's a 2011. 2011. And uh, so let me ask you this. When you uh, were negotiating a deal, did you uh, say, hey, I'm Karma Dean and I'm a wrestler, and if you don't take $1,000 off the price, I'm going to put you in a headlock. Did you do that? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I wasn't, in, um, I wasn't even in training yet when I bought the car, so I didn't, have the, I didn't have the authority at that point to say that. But, yeah, if I was buying that car now, I definitely would use all of my uh, heelish qualities to get over on people to give me the best deal. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Real quick here, like I say, this is uh, this is uh, your your time, not mine. But uh, we have Karma Dean's our guest here. We got about three minutes here left with Karma. So, you know, with all the stuff that you've uh, you've done and uh, the stuff that's going on in the future, uh, what would you say uh, is going to be your ultimate goal within, say, the next couple of years? Well, my ultimate goal, I'd say, would be, for one thing, to inspire women of all ages, um, that they can do anything they want to do and be anything they want to be. And my character was inspired from uh, childhood trauma, being bullied and, um, you know, being made fun of a lot. So when I developed my character, a lot of that was in the back of my mind. So karma's out to kind of seek revenge on all those who, you know, bullied her and made her feel like she could never be what she wanted to be. 
So here I am now today, you know, being exactly what I want to be, being successful, living, you know, living my best life and hopefully helping so many of those who are maybe in the same boat as I was much younger, you know, um, going through something like that. Just know that, you know, that they have a role model they can look up to and, and find inspiration from, hopefully draw inspiration from, even though I play a bad guy. <laughs> I think there's actually a good behind the bad guy with, with my character. So, and of course to sign, um, you know, a big contract with a, with a big company that, that really would be my ultimate dream. And, uh, I, I don't know if you'll be able to do this or not, but, uh, when you when you do sign that contract, uh, here's what I'd like you to do. Get in touch with me on Facebook Messenger, and we'll have you back on again to talk about it to prove that uh, you did keep your promise. You did not big time us, and you still, you're still our buddy, so that's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic. Sounds great, 100%. All right, so we've got about 120 seconds here with uh, Karma. Uh, real quick here, uh, before we sign off with Karma, if uh, there's someone uh, listening right now that wants to get into the business, what is one tip that you'd give them? I would tell them the same thing that Glacier told me, and that is to look at your why. Why are you doing this? Why is this your dream? If you can go through um, the hard times in the training of this, and this is probably the hardest thing that I've ever done in my entire life and the most challenging thing I've ever done, if you can get past those initial few weeks when, you know, you're going to take a lot of lumps and bumps and bruises and, and you know, learn the ropes, as, as they say, if you can make it through and you still look at it and says, I want this more than anything, then this is the, the business meant for you. Um, just, you know, if this is what you really want, don't give up. It is hard, but at the end you'll be so grateful you didn't give up. It is the most rewarding thing I've ever done, aside from the most challenging. Don't give up. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, we want to thank you, Karma, for joining us. You've been awesome, and we will definitely have to have you back on again. And if, uh, as soon as you get me in touch with Glacier, I'll be in your debt. Okay. Thanks for being well, thank on the you show. So much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you all so much. You've all been so kind. And thank you to everyone listening. Thanks, Karma. Thank you. Karma Dean, ladies and gentlemen, live on Kent FM 89.1, live here in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, looks like our next guest is on with us here, so we're just going to go right to the next one here. Ladies and gentlemen, stepping out of the green room and walking down the aisle, he is the pirate of the independent wrestling ring. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you, he's not the Duke of Earl, but he is Duke Cornell. Hey guys, this is Duke Cornell. You're listening to the Attitude Era live on 89.1 Ken's FM with your host, the Icon, the Big Swing, and Granny Hulkster. Hey Duke, how are you today, buddy? I'm doing all right. I'm a little suspect on this pirate intro. Is that is that because I was stabbed in the eye five years ago? Is I wear the eye patch to protect that, or where are we going with that? Well, that, well, uh, well, well, we'll talk about the iPad, uh, iPads in a little bit because, uh, you know, that's, what, that's where I was going. But uh, I was just kind of trying to get you fired up for the interview. Now, uh, that was not directed by me. That was directed by one of your fans. I'll talk about that in a little while. But uh, we have uh, Duke Cornell as our guest here. We have uh, 29 minutes here on Ken's FM, 89.1 FM. So, uh, Duke, if you want to give us a little background about yourself here real quick, and then we can uh, have fun with the interview. Well, I started everything back. My first, my professional debut was actually December of 2008, and it was in uh, Delta, Iowa, uh, against Donnie Pepper Cricket. So I've been at this. It'll be year 13 is what we're coming to button up here. Uh, 
been really up and down the road kind of everywhere, not just within the North Dakota area, but also uh, Missouri, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois. Uh, I'm starting to go down into Oklahoma these days, Texas. Uh, I'll be over in the Northeast, so it'll be Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Maine, uh, just really everywhere at this point in my career. I'm just uh, moving in and shaking. Uh, Duke Cornell is our guest here. we got 28 minutes here live on Kansas FM 89.1. So now you uh, you mentioned wrestling in uh, North Dakota. Now I have seen you wrestle several times uh, uh, through Pulpomania and a few others, but uh, let us uh, kind of tell us, um, you know, you have a little bit of a faction uh, on Pulpomania, do you not? Yep, that will be uh, the crew of my guys where it'll be Seto Kobara as well as Brandon Nitro, the Snake Pit. They, uh, they're two of my, uh, I would say, protégés. They've kind of followed within my wake and uh, really learned how to make some noise. And uh, with, uh, with the Snake Pit, you guys are, would you guys compare your faction to, like, the, the NWO or Degeneration X, uh, maybe the Heenan family? Uh, who would you compare your faction to, or the Million Dollar Corporation, who would you compare your faction to? Well, you have me, who's the devout cult leader. You have Seto, who is a pyromaniac. And then you also have Nitro, who is a ex-convict. It's really tough to say that we would be part of a Heenan family or comparable to something like a D-Generation X or an NWO. I guess if you had to put us next to a, quote, other spooky crew, I would say the Brood. The Brood. Awesome. Uh Duke Cornell's our guest here. We've got 27 minutes live here on Ken's FM 89.1. So now when you, uh, when you uh, started in the business, did you, uh, did you have uh, plans to, uh, you know, just go all over uh, or just get booked where you could? What was your uh, initial plan when you first started out in the business? Well, when I first started, I planned on coming in and going out with two eyes, but I changed that one halfway through. Uh, I would say my original goal on everything was to end up on television, whether it was with uh, WWE or at the time TNA was a big one that was on the rise. Uh, So really it wasn't just to stay busy. It was to get known and be very, what I deem as successful with being on TV, the big contract and uh, just on everyone's name and everyone knows my name and I'm on everyone's radar and uh, I'm getting close. I'm getting close. Now, uh, this it's, it's pretty obvious, but I, I'm going to ask this, and then we can uh, bring on Granny Hawkshire. So when you wrestle, are you consider yourself to be a babyface, a heel, an in-between, or are you more of a crowd guy? I would say I'm me. I'm a very aggressive man. I believe in physicality. I believe that there is a story to be told within that arc of the violence, but I do believe that people are just going to decide which way they want to go with me, whether they're going to like what I do because I am a little aggressive or they don't like what I do because I will bend a few rules to make sure that I can win. And uh, Granny, we happy to know this. Uh, uh, Duke Cornell, uh, Granny, he does know Sylvester J. Fox. So go ahead, Granny. What do you have for our guest, Duke Cornell, live here on Ken's FM? We have 25 minutes. Go ahead. Well, thanks for being on the show. Um, I'm had not had the opportunity to see you wrestle, but when you mentioned Oklahoma, I'm very familiar with your name because I believe you're facing 
someone that I know quite well through Wrestling for a Cause this Saturday night in Dewey, Oklahoma. Is that correct, Mr. Nasty? If you're, yeah, it would be Mr. Nasty. It's him and I this Saturday. Well, unfortunately, Granny cannot be there because I am going to be in Little Rock at a convention. But I am very familiar with Wrestling for a Cause because I have been helping Tim Rockwell with that organization for quite some time. I've not had the opportunity to see you wrestle, but I'm very familiar with your name. So I'm going to be very familiar. I've missed the last. Yeah, I've missed the last few Wrestling for a Cause shows because of my schedule and everything like that, and I really hate that because I really love Wrestling for a Cause. I love what they do. So um, I guess one of my questions for you is um, what has been one of your most challenging matches you've had in your career, and who was it against? I would say possibly my most recent as far as challenging, uh, physically it was challenging, was with Madman Fulton in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I had actually just got done with a significant hand surgery. Uh, I was dying on antibiotics, and I went 20 minutes with that big monster, and I was not the same going in as I was coming out. I was sore for a week. I was absolutely dehydrated. He beat the ever-living hell out of me, uh, but I gave it back to him. He's not—he didn't get any, didn't get away that lucky, but oh, physically that was the most taxing, uh, just because that is a big man and he does hit I'm really sure. hard. I'm sure. Now, have you faced Wesley Crane? Also, have you wrestled Wesley Crane? Yes, that was for my debut with Wrestling for a Cause. It was a no-rope match. The fans had voted on that one. Uh, no-rope mm-hmm. matches. Uh, in my neck of the woods, we call them the snake pit match because that's the one that where I excel. And he beat me on my own game that night. We were on his uh, home red dirt, and uh, he just got the best of me on that one. But it was it was physical. It was a very good match. I was happy with my efforts on it, but I just came up a little short. Well, I hope I make it back to wrestling for a cause sometime soon so I can see the opportunity to see you wrestle. I would like to see you wrestle. I I really would. But I also help with another organization in Arkansas called Down South Championship Wrestling. I need to try to work on getting you to come to Arkansas (laughs) to do some wrestling shows if we can make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all for building a loop and and making a – making everything happen. There was uh, there was one company that I was just loosely in communication with over in Arkansas. Uh, the name kind of escapes me right now. But, yeah, we were talking, and then uh, just suddenly I'll be up in the Northeast here for a few months and building all kinds was of loops mid, just everywhere. Was it, mid, was it Mid-States Wrestling, by chance? Uh, it doesn't sound familiar. Okay, well, Mid-States is out of Harrison, Arkansas, and Jason Jones, he wrestles for Tim Rockwell a lot, and he he's over Mid-States. And then there was one in um, Arkansas also called WCWA, and I they haven't done there a show is. in a while. Oh, that one? Yep, WCWA. I remember it was alphabet yeah. suit, but four letters. That rings a bell. 
Yeah, well, I don't think, um, unfortunately, I don't think they're going to be doing any more shows, um, not in the near future that I'm aware of, but um, I also went to WCWA. I know a lot of wrestlers that wrestled for them, too. And I'm sure that anybody can tell you wrestling for a cause who and what Granny Holster is all about, because I don't like the heels. I can talk some pretty good smack to the bad guys when I have to. So you, you know Sylvester J. Fox. You need to do me a favor and put Sylvester J. Fox in his place for Granny when you see him again. <laughs> Gladly. I'll take that six-and-a-half-foot jerk, and I'll stretch, a, I'll stretch his neck to make him a whole seven-and-a-half-foot tall giraffe. Well, thank thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I am going to have to work uh, on do, getting you to Down South Championship Wrestling. I'm going to have to work on that. <laughs> uh, Duke Cornell is our guest That's here on Ken's FM 89.1. we got 20 minutes. So now, uh, sorry, uh, Duke, I'm going to ask you now, uh, uh, one of our fans here is asking about, uh, you know, your eye injury. Uh, you know, we, I know that you wear a patch for the ring and I wasn't trying to make a joke about the, the pirate thing. I know what happened, but, uh, for our fans that, that are listening, that might not know what happened, uh, to, for that injury. What happened? It was January of 2016. It was a street fight tag team title match for a company called fully loaded. Uh, they're no longer uh, operating right now. Uh, so the company, we had this street fight, and I was in there. My partner, Brian God at the time, against Malachi Matthews, who I believe is dead. And then uh, Cody Rice, who uh, I don't know his occupancy with life, but Cody had came in with a screwdriver, and all weekend that ring had been giving everyone troubles. And there was a board that had been popped up, and while he was coming at me with it, he lost his balance. And I know he was going to try and stab me in the face, but I didn't get to block that part of my face. Uh, So the screwdriver actually went in right beside my left eye. Uh, I wasn't too far from getting an actual lobotomy in front of everybody. Uh, Fortunately, I was just all the muscles around the eye were cut, and that's where the eye patch had come in after seeing several specialists. The approach there was to not stimulate the eye so the muscles could heal around it, and the eye patch just kind of stayed. It just became kind of the look. And so I just, I didn't change it. Um, the eye is, it's been doing better. Uh, I don't really have any problems with the left eye now. The right eye is where some of the problems have become because it had to compensate for my left eye for so long. So eventually we'll see where everything goes. But, yeah, that's where the eye patch came from. So now, but you, you're you not blind in your one eye. You still have uh, use of both your eyes, correct? So you kind of lucked out there. Yeah, I got lucky as far as that portion goes. Um, the left eye, it's its not the strongest um, just because of how it was protected, and now the right eye is, is starting to feel the effects of how it's been protected and how I keep protecting it. Uh, and it also just kind of serves as a reminder uh, that wrestling is very – it takes, it doesn't give. Uh, and in my case, trying to give to the people, it almost took my vision. So I just keep that as a reminder for myself that this is constantly work. This is constantly we keep going, and this is what we work for, and to not expect anything in return. So is it – so 
when you wrestle with a patch on, is it is it hard to uh, was it hard to wrestle with one eye right away, or did you get get used to it, or how long did it take to uh, to go through that before you actually were able to get used to it? It took a while to get used to. Uh, obviously, your depth perception changes. Uh, so it was a matter of trying to learn where my feet were at under me. I had to change my style because as much as I liked to have ran around at the time, you can't really be running around a whole lot when you can't necessarily judge how far you are from everything. So everything became more of a ground base. Uh, find out where someone looks like at arm's length, and you got to go from that. Uh, knowing how to work with one eye, it just it became – a whole other learning experience for wrestling. Uh, you don't hit the ropes the same. You don't get up the same. Uh, you don't, there, you just, you can't position your head the same either because you can't look at a guy straight on anymore. Uh, you have to look at him from the side because you have a new blind spot. You have to create a whole window for you to look out of things now. So it was a whole new science and it took quite a while. Uh, I was trying to move around as soon as I could, as soon as doctors were saying it was okay. Uh, to just really kind of feel everything out and, and get the new grasp on this science that is pro wrestling with one eye. And uh, it, was, it wasn't easy. There was a lot of frustrating nights. But finally I, I kind of figured out my sweet spot, and I've just been operating in it since. Uh, Duke Cornell is our guest here on Ken's FM 89.1. we got about 15 minutes here with the Duke. Now, so – you mentioned you had to change your wrestling style. So tell us, what is your wrestling style like? Are you more like a uh, technical wrestler, like a Bret Hart? Uh, I would think that high flying would be a little out, but like Rey Mysterio, are you just uh, are you just a down and out brawler like a Stone Cold Steve Austin? It's a healthy mix of what Bret Hart and Stone Cold is. Uh, so I do like to get on the mat. I do like to roll around, stretch. Uh, get some holds in and, and work a guy, but I also have this really heavy left hand that I like to put into people's jaws. So uh, it's, it's hard to really pinpoint it on, on one guy per se uh, to really compare a style, but it would be it would be technical, and then when time, it comes time to throw hands, I'm not afraid to throw hands. You know, and like I say, I have seen you wrestle uh, with uh, Puffa Mania. Um, will you be back in uh, the Fargo area anytime soon? I'm not 100% on that one. Uh, my schedule right now, it doesn't really a lot for heading up to uh, Puffamania or any of the, the Dakotas, per se. Um, we'll find out as time comes along. Uh, I know I won't be at their next event uh, just because I have prior engagements. And, yeah, it's, it's tough to say when I'll actually be up that way again. Well, kind of take us through then uh... – Duke, uh, your, your schedule for the next uh, a couple months or so, uh, let us know where you're going to be at. And if you happen to know, uh, take it information. Uh, people can come check you out. Uh, tell us what your schedule is the next couple months or so. so. Starting this Thursday, I'll actually be in Omaha for uh, Pro Wrestling Phoenix Live. And then the 20th hour, it'll be another date in Omaha for Magnum Pro Wrestling. And then the 21st, as we talked a little bit about, I will be in uh, Dewey, Oklahoma, for uh, wrestling for a cause. And then the 23rd is when I actually will be out in the Northeast, and I'll be starting to work a little bit more that way. And then I'll be appearing for uh, Showcase Pro Wrestling over there on September 12th. 
and uh, there's some other dates where I really can't give too much right away right now. Uh, 17th and 18th, I'll be back in Oklahoma for wrestling for a cause. Uh, they have a two-night tournament for that. And then the 23rd and 24th, I'll have an appearance in New York City. And then the 25th, I'll be back for Time Bomb Pro Wrestling uh, when they debut in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We have uh, Duke Cornell as our guest here. We're live on Ken's FM 89.1. we got about 13 minutes. So now I'm kind of curious now, uh, and we'll take a quick time out to remind everybody, if you go to our Facebook page, Off the Ropes, and if you like our page, uh, or if you go to uh, Ken's FM page on Facebook, if you like either one of those, uh, we'll get you automatically registered uh, for our December show giveaway where you can win uh, autographs from uh, past shows. Uh, you can uh, possibly win autographs from a current guest or a future guest. And, uh, you know, I understand, uh, Duke, that you do need to make a living in what you're doing, but uh, would you be willing to send us a few autographs for giveaways for our December show there? Yeah, it would be a little bit before I can get everything going just because I am in the middle of a, a move, like I said, to the northeast, and then I still got to get everything set up with camp as far as that part goes, but absolutely. Awesome. And uh, as a matter of fact, you know, uh, I do have uh, I do have some of your merchandise. When uh, you were up here with Pulpomania, I uh, I bought a couple uh, cool Duke Cornell souvenirs, and uh, I even have a two by four that was used in the hardcore match that you autographed. Uh, I'm sure that uh, the Pulpomania guys are wondering what happened to that uh, uh, piece of hardware, but it's uh, on my man cave wall with your signature on it, and I'm not going to give it up. So we have Duke Cornell as our guest here. We've got 11 minutes here, live on Ken's FM 89.1. Now, one thing I like to ask all independent wrestlers, and no one has ever answered the same way, so I'm going to put it to you. It's a two-part question. Uh, let's say that uh, you're at an event and someone from uh, either AEW or Ring of Honor or the WWE, uh, they come up to you after the show and they say, hey, you know, we're having tryouts uh, uh, in a couple of weeks, we'd like you to come try out for us. Two-part question. One, is that something you want to do to get that multimillion-dollar contract? And two, if you do get that big-time contract, uh, would you still be our buddy and talk to us and not big-time us? Well, I can guarantee I won't be big-timing anybody. It's it's this stuff that helps us get to where we need to for the next level. It's what they like to see on that next platform is that everybody can work together and aren't insufferable. Uh, that's a big thing that a lot of people just don't take into account is that there is the game, quote, behind the curtain and big-timing anybody and ignoring them for them trying to help you, that's frowned upon. Just Not even just on the business aspect of everything, but just as far as people go, uh, that's not the way I'm going to be remembered. Uh, but as far as with open tryouts and anything kind of like that, if I was approached, absolutely. Um, I view any opportunity. Uh, there's one that you need to take and you need to go 110%. Uh, any chance to make a living, make money, uh, support my children with what I do for my, for my life and my dreams. Uh, absolutely. There's, there's no question I would. Uh, Duke Cornell's our guest here. We've got about uh, 10 minutes here left with Duke. I don't know if, uh, Big Swing's going to want to chime in and ask a few questions, but uh, if he does, we'll uh, bring him on. But So now with uh, all the uh, all the stuff that you're doing with all the events that you're going to be going to in the next few weeks, um, what would you say is going to be uh, your biggest, toughest test uh, in your, your schedule in the next couple weeks? Possibly the biggest test is going to be that two-night tournament in Oklahoma is getting through night one 
and getting into night two. Uh, when you get into night two, you have more than the one round, and you got to try and advance and get through. If there's an injury that happens on night one, you got to fight through on night two. Or if it happens at the beginning of night two and you happen to move through, you got to keep pushing. Uh, it's definitely not going to be very easy, uh, especially when everybody is so determined and, and hungry to win this and, and really prove that they're not going to let some foreign guy to their red dirt come in and take it all. They're not going to let me eat the food off their table. I have to go take it. So that's going to be where the challenges really start to lie. Uh, everything with New York, that could be tricky too. Um, I really can't divulge a whole hell of a lot on that right now, but uh, just in regards, it could be a little tougher. It could be uh, a bigger hill to climb. But uh, as it sits right now, that two-night tournament going into where everybody calls it home except me, and I'm telling everyone that I'm going to go beat them all, I'm asking for a lot. So in this uh, in this particular tournament, how many uh, matches would you might you end up having to wrestle to get to the top of the mountain? It looks like there's going to be three different uh, three different rounds for it. So if I can get out of round one, then there's the two rounds in the next night. Uh, I might even have the tournament breakdown wrong as far as the brackets go. It could go even further, but I'm figuring for at least three. Uh, I could be absolutely blindsided, and there's four, and I have a really long night ahead of me. So it's just a matter of uh, the endurance game and, and making sure that I can get through without any injuries. And if you make it all the way through the tournament and you win it, uh, what uh, what do you get? Do you get a title shot? Uh, do you get the title? Uh, what do you get? What's your prize? Uh, you get the it'll be the uh, it'll be the Ryder Herring Cup. So it'll be just the trophy for winning on that one. And obviously there'll be the notoriety there that comes with it. And um, you would be hot-shotted into any kind of championship opportunity that was presented uh, because you kind of cut the line by showing that you could go the distance in two days. So do you already have a uh, place picked out on your mantle where you're going to put the said trophy? Because anybody that's been on our show that's went for a title or went uh, on a tournament has never lost. So uh, that's going in your favor. So uh, do you have a place picked out on your mantle for it? Yep, right next to my son's wrestling medal. He placed uh, second place in all of his tournaments last year. It was his first year doing it. Uh, really proud of my, my little guy. Uh, but uh, I think I think if I can win this, it'll go right beside his because I'm pretty proud of his, and I should be pretty proud of this one once I get it. Hi, Con, now, can I jump you, uh, in for a minute? Sure, go ahead, Can Jane, I jump ahead. in for a minute? Because I'm yeah, very familiar with this two-night tournaments that he's talking about, the Ryder Herring Memorial Cup. Ryder was the little boy that Wrestling for a Cause did their very first show for them. He had cancer, and he lost his battle with cancer. And that trophy is humongous. I mean, I've been to many two-night events for the Ryder Herring Memorial Cup. It's an awesome event. People, you don't want to miss this because it's going to be an – Tahlequah, Oklahoma, and it's absolutely amazing. And I can't be there Saturday night, but I'm sure going to try to be there maybe Friday night on the 17th of September if I can be. But because I love, I love this two-night tournament event that they do every year. It used to be just a one-night event, but it got so big and so huge and so large, and so many people, so many wrestlers wanted to be a part of it. They had to turn it into a two-night event, 
and this is like the third year, I think, that they've actually had a two-night-year event for this um, for, for this tournament. So I'm very familiar with that tournament that he's talking about. And uh, how many wrestlers are going to be at this tournament? Do you know, uh, Duke? I'm not 100%. I do know I saw at least 16 names. All right, we have uh, Duke Cornell as our guest here on Ken's FM uh, 89.1, live here in Fargo, North Dakota. We have about five minutes here left with uh, Duke. So uh, real quick, Duke, if our fans wanted to check you out and see what you're doing, you got a Facebook, you got an Instagram, a YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, a GoFundMe, what do you got? To find out what I'm doing and where I'm going, uh, you'll want to check out. It'll be Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Copperhead Duke. And uh, I'm just kind of curious. Now, you have a, a cool little logo uh, with a, uh, I believe, I, what is it, a python? Did you design that, or did someone else design that for you? That is actually the handiwork of one of my graphic guys. His name, uh, he operates under the name of Filth Grime. Uh, he's been very instrumental in everything as far as my uh, merchandise, as well as Snake Pit merchandise. Uh, he just recently did a new design for my guy, Seto Kobara, uh, Absolutely stunning work. Uh, also, uh, Dan Agor, he's been uh, really big on everything with my merchandise lately, too. Uh, my newest work has been through him. He's phenomenal. He's super easy to deal with. I, I absolutely recommend him. You'll see a lot of his stuff on TV already, and I can only imagine how much more soon because he's, he's ridiculously talented. Uh, we have uh, Duke Cornell as our guest here. We've got about uh, three minutes here left with Duke. So now uh, – you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, your son's wrestling. Uh, are you uh, wanting him to uh, get in the business uh, like you? Maybe you uh, you could be a trainer, or would you want to find uh, someone else to train him, or uh, do you want to try and have him steer away from the business and let him be a doctor or a lawyer or something? Oh, I'd love for him to do something that gets paid. But if this is something that he really wants to do, I'm not going to be one to deter him from his dreams. Who am I to tell him not to do it when I'm doing it? Uh, if it's something that he wants to do, I'd rather that he goes through me and I can teach him everything that I know and then obviously send him off and get worldly about it. Uh, that's one of the most uh, valuable traits that you can have when it comes to this is to have that worldly exposure uh, to get that work over in places like Germany and do the camps in England uh, any kind of time that you can do in Japan if it's the dojo or what system they may uh, indoctrinate him into. Uh, I'm in Mexico with tours and get him into Canada. Whatever he wants to do with it, if he really wants to do it, I'm, I will support if he just wants to be uh, the local guy that wants local shows because there's nothing wrong with that. But if he wants to be the absolute best at it, I will push him and I will kick him in the ass until he goes and chases it the way he's supposed to. And, uh, you know, eventually maybe uh, you and he could be uh, come tag team partners and do the whole father-son thing, you know, and uh, – uh, take on the uh, the rest of the world by storm as father and son, you know? That'd be a good one to have. We'll, uh, we'll see how the knees are holding up and how my eyes are going to stay together, but that would be a good one. All right, we have uh, Duke Cornell as our guest here. We've got about uh, 60 seconds here left with uh, with our man here. Uh, we do want to thank you, Duke, for taking time out of your schedule to join us, and uh, the next time you're out in Fargo here, uh, you, I know you know who the icon is because, uh, you know, I always do audio commentary for your matches, and uh, 
Um, I'm always backstage trying to get uh, autographs and collectibles, and, uh, you know, I can be an annoyance sometimes, as some of the wrestlers like to say. But uh, we do appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to be with us tonight. You have been awesome, and uh, we uh, would love to have you back on again. Maybe we can uh, get your son on with us as well at some point. I think it'd be interesting to hear what a seven-year-old has to say. That's when it comes to the dad's wrestling career, see how he thinks about it. Thanks, awesome, Duke. Duke. Well, thanks give for me, being with Duke, us tonight. We give appreciate me, it. Give me a favor, if you can. Tell everybody at Rustin' for a Cause that Granny and David and Anthony sends their hellos because I miss my Wrestling for a Cause family. I really do. So I'm hoping to get back soon to, to see some of their shows. Absolutely. I'll pass that along on Saturday. Thank All right, you. Thanks, Duke, for joining us. Have a good night. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. You guys as well. All right, Duke Cornell, ladies and gentlemen, that was an awesome interview. Now we have the ultimate individual coming on with us right now. Uh, He is probably the greatest comedian in the history of the comedic industry. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us live right now, he is the man that rules the stage every time he is on it. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Jeff Shaw. Hey, everybody. This is comedian Jeff Shaw, and you're listening to the Attitude Era Live on 89.1 Ken's FM with your host, the icon, the big swing, and Granny Holster. Hey, Jeff. How are you tonight? Thanks for joining us, buddy. How are you? Sure. Thanks. All right, we have uh, Jeff Shaw as our guest here live on Ken's FM 89.1 here in Fargo, North Dakota. We have about 39 minutes here. So here's what we're going to do here, Jeff. Uh, if you want to give us a little background about yourself, uh, and then we'll uh, have some fun with the interview. Uh, well, you just said that I'm the greatest comedian that's ever performed on a stage. What other background do you need? <laughs> well, whatever else you want to give us. Uh, kind of fill in the blanks. Uh, okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is going to be fun. Um, well, I've been doing comedy for, uh, 30 some years. I just got off a cruise ship. Um, I'm driving home from Miami. I've, uh, toured all over the United States, all over the world. Uh, been on television, radio. I was a greeting card writer, a comedy club manager. Uh, I have a new album that went to number one in, uh, on the comedy charts on Amazon and iTunes in, uh, in January, I, uh, appeared on season 15 of America's Got Talent. And I started off in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, at the old Cleveland comedy club in 1987. Uh, Jeff Shaw, Jeff Shaw is our guest here. We got 38 minutes here with Jeff on Ken's FM 89.1 FM. So now you mentioned that you just got off a cruise ship. Now I'm kind of curious, you know, with all the with all the COVID stuff going on. Like I say, we're not going to spend too much time about COVID, but uh, you know, being on a cruise ship with uh, the you know threat of COVID, uh, kind of tell us a little bit about uh, what uh, if, if that had any worries on you or uh, what uh, what kind of precautions you had to take on the cruise ship because of COVID. Um. Well, the last thing I was worried about is COVID. What I was worried about was performing after a year and a half of not performing on a ship. That's scarier than 
than any coronavirus because cruise ships are the most difficult um, gigs for a comedian. And, uh, and even when you're performing every week, um, it's difficult. So um, I've uh, prepared for this for these shows like a prize fighter. I basically um, booked a tour the entire summer just to get ready for those cruises. Because stand-up comedy is not something that um, you can practice without an audience. So musicians have the benefit of being able to practice in their studio or you know, in their bedroom and then, you know, go in and tour. But in stand-up comedy, all you're rehearsing is in front of a live audience. So, um, uh, fortunately, um, I was well-prepared and well-rehearsed, and uh, I wasn't worried about the, um, about the health aspect because they have all that covered. I mean, you can't work the ship unless you're vaccinated. So the, the entire crew is tested and vaccinated. I got tested when I got on the ship. Um, all the guests had to wear masks. And, uh, unfortunately, there was a small percentage of guests that were unvaccinated, um, but they had to wear masks and uh, because uh, according to Florida law, they weren't allowed to be not allowed on the ship. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've been vaccinated for months and have been touring safely with all kinds of precautions. So um, COVID was the last thing I was worried about on the ship. And uh, they took every all the health precautions very, very uh, uh, seriously and uh, Almost everybody was complying with all the protocol, and everybody was really chill and relaxed, and uh, it was like a low pressure. I was really impressed with uh, both, you know, the crew, uh, the company, and the guests. So it, it turned out to be a great couple of weeks. Uh, Jeff Shaw is our guest here on Kent. Uh-huh. Go ahead, sir. Well, I couldn't get it. They wouldn't let us off the ship, though. So that's the only that's the only problem. Uh, Jeff Shaw is our guest here on Ken's FM. We got 35 minutes. So now, when you uh, when you book the the ship, uh, book the ship. When you book your your show on the ship, how uh, how long were you on, on the cruise, and uh, how many different performances uh, do you do on the cruise ship? Well, I work for Carnival Cruise Lines, and they have a a comedy club on every one of their ships. It's called the Punchline Comedy Club, and I actually helped start that program. I worked for Carnival for 10 years and lived aboard their ships and ran their flagship operation. And then um, when my job was eliminated, it made me a comedian again. So I went back to comedy full time in 2017. And uh, when you, usually when you do a, um, when you do a cruise, you get on halfway through uh, or either at the beginning or halfway through and you do half a cruise. So um, uh, the normal formula is you, is you fly into a port, you get on for the second half of a seven-day cruise, and you do five shows over a few nights, and then you stay over in the home port, and you do uh, another five shows on the next cruise, and then you fly out uh, either to another ship or home or whatever, and they call it uh, being a fly-on entertainer. Uh, now, because of all the various protocols involved and the logistics involved with booking comedians, and other entertainers, um, they have to board you, uh, embark you and disembark you off in home ports only. So they get all the comedians on at once. Uh, all the entertainers get on in whatever the home port is, and you stay on for the entire cruise. And to make it more cost efficient, they'll try to keep you on for a few cruises. Um, 
I was I did two cruises. I got on in the first and then um I left yesterday. And it's really a lot of fun because you get to um you get to perform with more comedians than usual and you get to see their show and uh unlike some uh comics who don't like being on the ship longer than usual, I don't you know, I like it because I don't really have a place to live, so I get to stay on the ship longer and eat for free longer and uh, and do all the things I want to do, write, read, take care of myself, work out. It's actually, you know, once you get on the ship, you get to kind of live. Uh, the audience is really a, happy to be cruising. Uh, we have uh, Jeff Shaw as our guest here on Ken's FM 89.1. We've got about 32 minutes. Uh, so... Uh, I'm going to ask uh, a couple more questions, and we'll bring Granny on here. So now, you know, being you know, you mentioned that uh, you know you're on a cruise ship and you're on there for up to a number of days. Uh, do you get like uh, I'm sure you get like great accommodation, like you get like a special stateroom with satellite TV, and uh, they cater your you know you can get a hot dog at two in the morning, or if you want a bowl of Captain Crunch at five o'clock in the morning. They pretty much take care of you, do they not? Or is that a myth? No, they do not. It's the opposite. You get a crew cabin um, with a basic television and no room service. And you get uh, cabin service every uh, every couple of days. It's the same cabin that the crew stay in. Um, the, the, only, the only difference is, you're, uh, is you get the cabin by yourself. So crew members uh, have to share a cabin. Now, um, the, other, the other cruise lines, you do get a guest cabin, but um, on Carnival Cruise Lines, you're treated like crew, not a guest. But now, um, is that, the cabins uh, are... Well, is that, that? Is, that, is, that something, is that something you're just used to, or uh, do you feel that uh, as a performer on the ship, you should get a little, you know, a little higher-up treatment, or No. Well, well, there's no, there's no negotiating. There's, that's not something that's negotiable. That's just, that just comes with the gig. Uh, Jeff Shaw is our guest here on Ken's FM 89.1 here live in Fargo, North Dakota. we got about 30 minutes. Uh, we're going to bring Granny Hulkster in. Uh, uh, I don't know how many uh, questions Granny might have, but uh, go ahead, Granny. What do you got for our guest? Jeff Shaw, go ahead. I know that you like comedians, so go ahead. <laughs> Hi, well, thank you for being thank you for being on our show. Um, what made you decide you wanted to become a comedian, and who who was your mentor? Who got you started into this business? Um, well, I didn't have a mentor. Pretty much, nobody gets you into this business. You get it on yourself. In fact, people try to keep you out of the business. You know. Um, uh, most people, you know, most comedians don't want new comedians coming in. And so when anybody wants to be a comic, we try to talk them out of it. But um, once you get in and, and you, you, you know, people see that you're serious, then people will start helping you because people appreciate anybody with a work ethic or anybody, you know, being a comic is very hard. And in the beginning, you're pretty much on your own. But once you prove that you have what it takes to stick with it, um, and that's when you start getting help. But um, in the beginning, um, I wanted to become a comedian because I was a huge fan of stand-up comedy. I uh, grew up um, listening to Rodney Dangerfield records, Bill Cosby records, uh, 
Steve Martin records. I rent them from the library and listen to them late at night um, in my bedroom on a record player. And I would memorize all the albums. And uh, I was a big fan of Jerry Lewis movies. And uh, when I was a kid, he was my idol. And then right around sixth grade, I discovered Saturday Night Live and uh, the comedian Andy Kaufman. And he was the first comedian that made me uh, like kind of like want to be a performer myself. And in the sixth grade talent show, I kind of wrote my own version of Andy Kaufman's act. It was basically his act, but with my own lines. And uh, I won first place in the talent show, and I won a bunch of talent shows after that. And then as I went into junior high and high school, I started taking acting classes and acting in plays. And uh, I joined the Army when I was 17, and I was home on leave, and I watched an episode of Late Night with David Letterman. And I saw, uh, I watched uh, an episode of The Carson Show, uh, and then the next night, David Letterman. And I saw two comedians that kind of changed my life, Stephen Wright and Emil Phillips. And when I was a kid, I kind of thought like I was a weird kid and an outsider. And in these two performers, I saw two weirdos, so to speak, that were able to turn their weirdness into something that was attractive or cool or hip. And I thought, well, maybe I can use, you know, um, comedy to, you know, um, turn my, you know, what I consider being a, a weird person or an outsider into something positive. So I kind of gravitated towards those offbeat comedians. You know, that's why I liked Andy Kaufman when I was younger and Steve Martin. But uh, the, the joke writing of Stephen Wright and Emil Phillips just really just captivated me. And so I started writing jokes. And then um, when I got out of the service, I kept in mind something my my drama teacher told me in high school when I did a funny skit, she told me I should try open mic night at the Cleveland Comedy Club. And I thought, okay, I'll try it. So um, uh, the summer of, of, of 86, I was working in a factory with my dad and I was writing jokes uh, on my lunch break on index cards. And after a few months, I had a bunch of jokes and I called the Cleveland Comedy Club and found out about their open mic night. And uh, I went down on a Sunday in August of 1986 and went on stage for the first time. And, wow. uh, and it was, it was weird because I had been in the service and, uh, I thought, uh, wow, what a, what a perfect look would be my military glasses, military haircut. And I went to the Salvation Army and I got a, like an old suit, kind of looked like one of the old fifties comedians. And mm-hmm. uh, I went into the bathroom to change before I was called on stage. And uh, they introduced Drew Carey right in front of me. Wow. And wow. Uh, so I had to change before I went on stage. And it was, I, I totally bombed. I, I do a, 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 whole, a whole story on stage about my first time at the Cleveland Comedy Club. But at the end of my show, I was booed off the stage in three minutes. Um, I was in the lobby hyperventilating. I couldn't believe what a, uh, uh, the terror I just experienced of my first time on stage. And Drew Carey poked me on the shoulder and he said, hey, kid, I like that one joke you did. I said, which joke? He said, uh, I'm sore throat. My mom said I'd be late to my own funeral. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even go. I never liked the bum in the first place. So uh, <laughs> having him kind of like a joke of mine, 
was, was kind of a shot in the arm because he was a, a paid regular at the Cleveland Comedy Club at that time. He was one of their full-time MCs. And about uh, a year later, I started working the road. And one of my first road gigs was at the Funny Bone Comedy Club in Milwaukee. And I was the feature act for Drew Carey at the Funny Bone uh, Halloween weekend. I mean, not Halloween weekend, Thanksgiving weekend. And I got to spend Thanksgiving with, with Drew at the club owner's house. And we watched the Browns game and all that. And uh, Drew was the first person to uh, teach me that there was more to writing jokes than just inspiration. In fact, he gave me an early uh, Christmas present. He gave me a, a book called The Comedy Writing Secrets by Professor Mevin Hellitzer. It's from Writer's Digest um, pub, uh, Publishing. And it's still in print to this day. And for a lot of comedians who started in the 80s and 90s, that was their first book. And so he was the first comedian to kind of take me under my wing, but I'd been doing comedy for, uh, for about a year and uh, kind of point me in the right direction as far as, um, you know, learning the craft of joke writing. And then um, another comedian who kind of took me under his wing after seeing me perform uh, in the early days was Steve Harvey. And Steve didn't give me creative direction as much as he gave me advice about starting off in the business. And then another comedian that saw me in an open mic night and helped me get booked on the road was Tim Wilson, who was a uh, big comedian in the South and one of the Bob and Tom All-Stars. So, uh, like I said, once you get started in comedy and you prove that you, you can take your licks and that you're serious and you're willing to, to put a lot of heart into it, um, that's when mentors start crawling out of the woodwork. But so many people say they want to be a comedian and so many comedians you know, think people think they can do it. Um, and also, too, when you, when you start doing comedy in the beginning, you have to be very cocky and very delusional because it is such a hard road and it's so humiliating that it's only for people who are delusional and have a big ego and think they're ten times better than they are. And although that gives you the moxie you need to withstand those brutal early <clears throat> months and years, it makes it very hard for people to be around you. So um, new comics are very are usually very off-putting and annoying to be around. Uh, but once they're humbled by their first few months of giving it a shot, you know, that's when you start going, oh, wow, okay, there's a lot more to this. And that's when people usually come to your rescue and start giving you some guidance, you know, especially back in the 80s when I started because there weren't any, there was no such thing as comedy courses, and there's only like one or two books on comedy. Now there's a cottage industry where you know people can go online and take you know courses on how to be a stand-up, and a lot of them are really oh. good. So, uh, Jeff Shaw is our guest here on Ken's FM 89.1. We have about 22 minutes here with uh, Jeff. Now, you know, Jeff, uh, we're going to kind of circle back. You know, uh, Andy Kaufman was uh, my comedic hero. And um, as a matter oh, of fact, wow. you know, I did, I, yeah, I kind of, uh, you know, uh, that kind of ties in with, you know, him doing wrestling with uh, Jerry Lawler. Uh, you know, yeah. as a matter of fact, you know, I, yeah, I, you know, I tried to do a little stand-up comedy myself. I even put out a uh, CD at one time, and uh, the sales, it went aluminum. Uh, yeah, because there was definitely no platinum for this guy. 
So now we're going to kind of circle back here a little bit about uh, comedic advice, but uh, you know, uh, you know, out here in uh, North Dakota, uh, of course, we've been uh, taking a break from it for a couple of years, which is a good thing. But uh, uh, you know, every once in a while, like if we have a, a winter, we have a flood out here. I like I tell everybody where I come from here in Fargo, North Dakota, we have four seasons: we have winter, flood, road construction, and football. And uh, one of my uh, one of my best jokes. One of my best jokes is, uh, you know, during the flood, uh, you know, there's always a guy by the uh, Red River uh, waving his toothbrush. You know, I always ask him, hey, dude, what are you doing? He said, I'm waiting for the crest. And uh, that's probably my best joke. And uh, uh, by telling by the uh, audience um, response, uh, it's still not a good joke. But anyway, uh, for someone like me, <laughs> uh, for someone like me trying to get into to the business, and that I'll, I'll leave the comedy to you. Uh, what advice would you give uh, from you to a new comedian? What advice would you give? Um. Well, the the, the advice is is um is you have you have to learn how to be a comedian. It has nothing to do with ability. And the the most important. Uh, thing about stand-up comedy is learning how to write jokes. It's the most important thing. Uh, like uh, that um, comedy, like music, has um, formulas and principles that are universal that you have to learn. Just like how um, you have to learn scales and chords and everything to be a musician, to play the guitar, the same applies to stand-up comedy. Um, it, uh, it's just a coincidence that somebody like Robin Williams can't articulate what he's doing. You know, um, uh, he's still a, he's still um, his act still adheres to the laws of comedy physics, whether it's something he absorbed or it's something that I had to painstakingly learn. Um, no act is going to work until you learn the comedy laws, <laughs> of, the laws of comedy physics or the, the musicality of, of, of stand-up comedy. So if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. And um, the, the most important thing I would tell somebody when they're learning is do not try to perform dirty until, you have, until you've been doing comedy five to ten years. Is that you cannot become a, a good comedian if you start off trying to be a dirty comedian. Well, uh, speaking, speaking, of that, uh-huh. speaking of that, I, I want to kind of touch on that a little bit. Uh, with, you know, I don't know if you, you would call it uh, a comedy style, but uh, are, you, uh, are, you, um, are you into, like, more political jokes? Uh, do you do raunchier jokes? Do you... Uh, um, I don't know how you want to say it, life, uh, life experience jokes. What kind of uh, style do you have? Um, well, you didn't you didn't watch my special on 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 uh, online or anything before this interview. Or watch well, any of my I videos? have, but uh, well, I have, but for our listeners that have not, I was kind of oh, hoping okay. you kind of yeah, fill us I'm, in. I'm completely clean. I'm a I'm a I don't swear once. So um, uh, I, I describe my comedy as a clean and clever comedy with a kick. So um, 
uh, now on cruise ships, you have to do 30, 30 shows, but um, I'll throw in swear words and otherwise clean jokes just because my job depends on it. Um, but uh, I am not a fan of dirty comedy uh, unless it's like uh, a master. Like, see, what, see, there's really no such thing to me as blue comedy or dirty comedy. Whatever. There's good comedy or there's bad comedy. And when most people watch a so-called blue comic, okay, and they're offended, or they go, oh, man, this guy's filthy, he's no good, they're not reacting to the language. They're reacting to his lack of ability or skill or, or a lack of polish. But because they can't articulate, because they're not schooled in comedy and they can't articulate what they don't like about the comedian, the easy handle to grab onto is the fact that he's dirty. And so when they, and also with a political comic, you know, people will go, oh, okay, well, I don't like political comedy. But the guy's probably just not making his point right or he's punching down or he's just has really lazy jokes. So um, when you have a good comedian uh, uh, that, that has um, relatable premises, um, when you're a, a good comedy, a journeyman comedian or a journeywoman comedian, uh, it transcends your act. And the truth that you tell transcends your style or transcends people's free, you know, conception about your act. So um, then you get to the point where you start to develop a style and a voice, and then you start to um, cultivate an audience who likes your personal style of comedy. Now, I am not well-known enough to, to have my own, you know, like, you know, to fill theaters, whatever, with my fans. I'm still at the point where I'll still draw people from my specials or my albums or my, you know, social media or television appearance or whatever. But for the most part, I am always performing for audiences that don't know me. And uh, when you do that, you have to be accessible to all types of audiences. And uh, in stand-up comedy, when you're not a known comedian, all the money and all the opportunities are in clean comedy, churches, uh, corporate gigs, um, co- uh, opening in theaters for big name acts, um, and mostly, you know, corporate shows and schools, you know. So um, if you can't perform clean, you're limited to nightclubs, which don't pay very well. And cruise ships are the, uh, are the modern-day equivalent of working the road. You know, that's where the majority of comedians make their money is uh, cruise ships and corporate gigs. And although you're dealing with, you know, intelligent audiences and educated audiences, uh, when you're doing corporate gigs, you're dealing with people from a different, uh, particular mindset and, and culture. And when you're dealing with cruise ship audiences, you're dealing with uh, diverse demographics all in the same audience. So when you, when you play a cruise ship, you have folks from every economic um, level, every like ethnic background, uh, from different regions of the country, uh, different ages, and they're all right there in the same audience in front of you. And you have to be um, universal enough in your appeal and your material that everyone's going to relate at once, but then original enough that they haven't heard it before. Um, so... Um, uh, when I tell people, you know, to work clean, um, 
I can play all types of different audiences because I've, I've learned how to communicate to different audiences and create material for different audiences. And that, and that requires uh, stagecraft, writing skills, um, knowing how to improvise, knowing how to deal with all the different challenges of different venues and different you know, audiences. And uh, when you start off in comedy being like so-called blue or dirty, you're not, you're taking shortcuts to expressing yourself and you're triggering laughs by using, you know, taboo subjects instead of really communicating with an audience. So once you learn, there's a big difference between somebody like Bill Hicks or Jim Jeffries or Doug Stanhope and a novice comedian who's been doing comedy for a couple of years, doing a bunch of sex jokes and dirty jokes and stuff like that. Um, uh, comics such as, you know, Chris Rock or Jim Jeffries, um, who are considered like R-rated comedians or adult comedians, are actually talking about very, you know, um, have really brilliant ideas and are talking about cutting-edge social issues and are, are really, you know, illuminating their audiences with a, with a point of view that they, they wouldn't be privy to anywhere else, like somebody like George Carlin. George Carlin was a master of using vulgarity and obscenities to um, to make, you know, very salient and poignant um, social commentary on our culture. And it came from a place of goodness and, and a love of humanity and a love of his audience and a love of our society. So there is, and so when you use the type of language he does and the type of imagery that he does on his albums, you risk alienating an audience. And so actually being a Jim Jeffries or a Doug Stanhope or a Chris Rock, like that, that famous routine that he did in 86, with, I mean, 96 with the N-word, um, that was a very risky bit, and he turned it into comedy gold because he was that skilled. And so comedians who aspire, young comedians who aspire to, um, to uh, expressing themselves like a Bill Hicks or a uh, George Carlin or a Chris Rock are not going to learn the skills they need to communicate and express themselves at such a high level until they master the basics of, 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 of comedy writing. And so that's why, uh, you Jim, know, if you notice, yeah. Uh, Jeff Shaw is our guest here. We have, uh, we have about uh, 10 minutes here with Jeff. Uh, we're live here on Ken's FM 89.1. One thing I, I do want to uh, kind of touch on, uh, Ken, uh, actually two points. Uh, you know, uh, usually when you do a comedy show, and I don't know if it's the same for everything, but, you know, all the comedy shows I've been there, it's usually been like three performers, you know, like a feature, uh-huh. a headliner. Could you kind of, can we talk a little bit about uh, the difference between, uh, you know, headliner, feature, and sure. difference? Can we touch on that a little bit? Yeah, Absolutely. Well, um, for um, uh, for those that uh, uh, your listeners that don't understand what we're talking about, um, uh, comedy shows and comedy clubs have a traditional, you know, what they call it a three-act format. The first act is an MC or opening act who introduces the show, introduces the comedians, does all the announcements for the club, and then does stand-up comedy. Uh, for like 10 to 15 minutes to warm up the crowd. And then a feature performer or middle act is the second comedian on a three-person show. And he or she will do like 20 to 30 minutes. 
And then a headliner will come up and do anywhere from like uh, 45 to an hour. And in a lot of instances now, there's just usually two people on the show. Um, and now in stand-up comedy, usually the first comedian is somebody who is uh, still a novice intermediate comedian who's been doing comedy anywhere from a year to five years. And uh, the featured comic is at a more advanced level of comedic expression, um, but anywhere from like five, uh, like four years to like seven years. And then headliners usually have anywhere from seven to 20 or more years of, of, of experience. And usually by the time that you're a headliner, um, when, when, when you're, um, when you're an opening act or an MC, you're still learning how to write and perform comedy. When you're a feature act, you know how to write and perform comedy. Now you're discovering who you are on stage and discovering your unique comedic voice. And you're just now learning, like, uh, how to develop the material that will make you a headliner. And when you're a headliner, you usually have already completed that journey and have a, a distinct comedic voice and uh, can write and perform material that comes from your heart and expresses who you are as a human being pretty much at will. And uh, you're the, the show is usually built around the headliner. And... Uh, and that's the unique thing uh, about cruise ships and corporate gigs. When you play a comedy club, you have, like, two comedians in front of you. But when you play a corporate gig or a cruise ship gig, you're the only comedian. So you're, you're going up completely cold. So that's where your now years you, of experience headliner come into play. Now, you've, uh, you've been uh, you, you've been in each one of those uh, time slots at one time or another in your career, correct? Absolutely, yeah, over uh, 34 years. And then uh, 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 on July 21st, not even a, a month ago, um, one of the last gigs I did before going on the cruise ship, I had like a month-long Florida tour, and I played this beautiful room. It's like one of the top rooms in Florida. It's called Off the Hook, and it's a seafood restaurant with a beautiful comedy club in it. It's classy. They have great food, and they get like – they book like the best comics in the country – um, well, they bring in big-name headliners on the weekend, but then on, like, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays, they'll bring – you just have to be an accomplished headliner. So, um, you know, you'll, do, you'll, you'll try to draw all your fans in one night. So, like, I got a Wednesday, and then they had someone else on Thursday, and then they had a big name on Friday, Saturday. So the, um, the club owner, because running a club is so hectic, forgot to book an opening act and didn't – and didn't give me the option to, you know, book one of my Florida buddies with me. Because um, a lot of times they'll, they'll let you bring your own opening act. Um, but he didn't say anything about that. So uh, there was no opening act, no MC. So I did a 90-minute show all by myself. And so having done, and I structured my act so that I was performing the feature position the middle position, and then by 45 minutes, I was the headliner. So my energy, the material I chose, the the degree to which I talked to the audience, my pacing, I adjusted it so that I could pretty much open and feature for myself, if that makes any sense, because I was familiar with what had to happen before me for me to be the headliner. 
So uh, I Jeff did Shaw's all that work here. for myself. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Shaw's our guest here. We've got about uh, five minutes here with Jeff here on Ken's FM 89.1, live here in Fargo, North Dakota. Now, one thing I do want to ask Ken, uh, I'm sorry, sure. Jeff, sorry. Uh, we're, we're on Ken's FM, sorry. One thing I do want to ask you, uh, Jeff, is uh, how you want to deal with probably uh, uh, the ultimate uh, thing uh, that every comedian seems to have to deal with one time or another, hecklers. How do you handle a heckler? Um, well, that's uh, how I handle it. Is, is kind of complex to explain because you have to learn. Like, uh, I'll tell you that, like the the correct way of, of handling heckler. The first thing you need to under to, the first thing you always do with hecklers is to ignore them. Okay, but sometimes that's not possible. Um. And uh, the problem with hecklers is, is in order to get an audience laughing, you have to put them into a hypnotic state. And that hypnotic state is controlled by the timing, cadence, modulation of both your voice and your jokes and the images that you create on stage. So what you're doing is the rhythm and the cadence of a good comedy show. Uh, and the 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 the, the, uh, the the world that you're creating visually in the listener's head all lulls the the viewer into a hypnotic state. So any distraction, people talking, lenders going off, phones going off, people shouting, ruin that hypnosis. Okay. And so that's why no heckler has ever, ever helped. They always think, oh, I'm, hep- I'm, he- I'm helping. The reason why hecklers think they're helping is hecklers are usually the least com- comedically savvy people in the audience with the most basic sense of humor, and they have no social skills and are not usually, you know, very egotistical. So what happens is they're not understanding or relating to the material that comedian is, is is performing but when the comedian does a very simple put down they understand that so to them the bad jokes the stupid low common denominator jokes are the jokes that are that entertain them at their level so that they think oh he didn't do the funny stuff until i opened my big fat mouth and 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 what what it usually does is it is it, it it sidetracks the comedian and throws him off off his path so, what, but, what, when, so when you're dealing with a comic, first you try, I mean, with a heckler, you first you try to ignore them. But then you have to ascertain, you know, is this a positive heckler or a negative heckler? Because in all instances, you know, the first thing you need to do is establish control as a comedian, and you have to be in control of the entire audience. So um, the audience wants you to handle hecklers. The whole, the whole thing is, is you have to decide whether or not the comic, uh, the heckler is trying to like uh, help you, thinks you're funny and is just getting carried away and is enjoying himself and is on your side, but just doesn't realize that they're interfering or ruining your act. Or if they're a negative person who, who thinks don't like you and they're drunk and they're actually trying to hurt your show. So with the, with the, with the former, you try to play with them and get them on your side and, and, you know, and, and gently, you know, make fun of them to kind of give them the, the, you know, to kind of keep them in line. Like I'll, people are distracting me in the front row. 
I'll start talking to them and doing material with them just so I can marshal their energy. And, and I'd much rather have them talking to me than talking to each other or, or playing around with their phone. So if I go into an audience, you can tell that somebody's distracting me. But if somebody, like, shouts something out, um, the, the, the most important frame of mind to be in when you're, when you're on stage is to be in the moment and to be curious. So if somebody shouts something out during my show or says something, first I'm, like, curious, why do they say that? What do they mean? And so I try to keep it organic and just have sort of a, a, a conversation with the comedians. I mean, with, with the hecklers and, uh, as a comedian and try to figure out, like, why they said something. You know, why are they trying to interact with me? And then, you know, once you get them talking and the audience can see what kind of person they are, then you can start dealing with that. But one of the secrets is you have to first um, let the audience hear what this person's saying, let the person introduce themselves so they can see if he's an idiot or if just a well-intentioned person who's enjoying the show. And to be curious and don't go right away for the joke. Because sometimes, you know, you can, you can shut down a heckler really quickly um, uh, with standard lines and it's effective. Uh, but also, too, if you, if you go in too hard, the audience will turn on you, you know. So it's like uh, when you – my rule of thumb when dealing with hecklers is I only make fun of their behavior, like what they're saying or how they're saying or the fact that they're disrupting my show or, you know, and usually that's more than enough grist for the mill. But what you never do is make fun of how somebody looks or their weight or, or anything that they could possibly be sensitive about, you know. So um, it, it takes years and years to learn how to do it um, correctly. But I start with, you know, trying to stay in the moment trying to build a rapport with the person and figure out why they're interrupting my show. And then you take uh, it from Jeff, there. But then uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Shaw is our guest here. We, we got about, yeah. uh, we got about uh, a minute and a half here left with Jeff. Uh, real quick here, Jeff, so we can do it. If our fans wanted to check you out and see what you're doing, uh, do you got a Facebook, an Instagram, a YouTube, a Twitter, a Twitch, a GoFundMe? What do you got? Yeah, all that, all that stuff. And you can find it all on my website, comedianjeffshaw.com. All my social media links are there, all my, um, links for my comedy album, Jeff with two F's is on there. Um, all my uh, YouTube videos are on there. Uh, my schedule, my bio, photo gallery, links to buying my album. Uh, everything is on ComedianJeffShaw.com. And uh, for those of you who are listening, if you go to our uh, page Off the Ropes on Facebook, or if you go to Ken's FM, you like both pages, uh, we'll get you automatically qualified to win an uh, autographed picture or uh, autographed memorabilia from one of our past guests, or one of our current guests, or one of our future guests. And, uh, Jeff, hopefully, uh, if you'd be willing to do that, uh, send us a few autographs for some giveaways. Uh, we would appreciate it. Uh, we do appreciate uh, you being on our show tonight. And uh, we do thank you for everything you did. We, if we haven't uh, scared you away too much or uh, asked too, uh, uh, too many off-the-walls any questions, if you'd like to join us again at some point, we sure would like to uh, have you do that with us. Sure. I just wanted to say real quick how you mentioned, you know, this is a wrestling program, and uh, Jerry Lawler with, uh, partnered up with Andy Coffin. I lived, mm-hmm. uh, when I told you that I was in sixth grade and I did the talent show, um, 
uh, although I lived, uh, although I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, I spent sixth and uh, part of seventh grade in Memphis, Tennessee. So I watched a lot of wrestling when I was a kid, and um, I watched my local wrestling that I watched when I was in sixth grade was Tennessee, the Tennessee circuit there, and Jerry Lawler was one of the stars along with Bill Dundee and and Jimmy Valiant. Awesome. So I used to watch I watched Jerry Lawler uh regularly every weekend when I was a kid before uh he partnered up with Andy Kaufman. Awesome. Well I'll tell you what everybody, uh this has been a great show. We do appreciate it, Jeff, and uh uh join us next week. Uh Ken's FM eighty nine point one FM uh live here in Fargo. Uh we got three great guests next week and uh we are off And we will see you all next week. Thanks for joining us. Dead man walking. You done it now. You done it made up in the day. And I can't allow you to think you can just walk away. So turn around and face the piper you're gonna pay.
Thanks for listening to 89.1 Ken's FM. We are listener-supported radio, so the programming you hear on our station is funded by our members and these local and area businesses. The Joe Irby Law Firm is a proud sponsor of 89.1 Ken's FM. We're located at 403 Center Avenue, Suite 409 in Moorhead, Minnesota. We focus on business startups, business litigation, criminal defense, family matters, and contract writing and review. More information is available by calling 1-866-933-4544 or on the website at joeirbylaw.com. That's J-O-E-I-R-B-Y-L-A-W.com. The Joe Irby Law firm where we take sides yours you're listening to 89.1 ken's fm knnz fm holly fargo moorhead independent public radio for fargo moorhead and the valley also on the web at www.kensfm.com from feature story news in hong kong i'm richard kimber u.s president's 